Welcome in, everybody. It is On the Clock. Ben Kenny here with you, a production of Phillies 24-7 and Sports Radio 94 WIP. After an interesting week in Phillies baseball, I think you can say the same about all of their weeks at this point, whether they go off and the season's back, whether the season's over. This week had it all. It did. A 3-3 three and three finish. They lost two out of three in Cleveland last weekend. They come back against Baltimore, one of the best teams in the American League. Now, it might not have felt that way as a couple of their big players were out, but still, they take two out of three against the Orioles at home. A season-saving type of win, at least it felt like, there on Tuesday. And then just a solid win to cap it off on Wednesday. 6-4 was the final. I mean, listen, I was sitting back beginning to prep the show as the week goes on, which is what I do. It's hard when you go through a, an entire hour show with a full week of Phillies baseball to sit down right before it and remember everything you thought in the moment as those games were happening. It's hard to go back to where I was on Saturday, sitting outside watching the Phils drop a great wheeler start with that disastrous lack of catch in right field. So I'm taking notes as the week goes along. And they lose two out of three in Cleveland. And listen, it, it it sucked. It sucked. You get Harper at first base. It felt as though there was some positive momentum coming from that. They, they drop game one in the most classic Philly fashion. Leave ten guys on base. They're one of six with runners in scoring position. They leave the bases loaded three times. They had 16 base runners as a whole. Same as Cleveland. They hit two home runs. They still lost. Shaky start from Ranger Suarez. And they come back on Saturday, and Wheeler's dialed. That's the Zach Wheeler I was trying to, that I was projecting we would see for the second half of the season. After what we saw in the first half, some underlying metrics said maybe good things were to come from him. He's he's shoving, and the offense is absolutely dead. It does nothing. And then you have the ball drop in in right center field, and they lose that game. They lose the first two. They come back on Sunday, a hard-fought win. 8, 5, and 10 innings, despite the Craig Kimbrell blown save. And we'll get to some of the specifics here in a second. But they come back against Baltimore on Monday. Just the most classic way to lose a baseball game. Chris Sanchez is really good for what we expected of him. He gives up, I think, two runs in seven innings. Topper had a, had a bad night. A really bad night. Schwarber staying out there in left field. The lineup was a head-scratcher. So they drop that to the Orioles, and then they're 1-3 on the week, and it feels as though they're sliding. They had lost several straight. All the momentum from that Padres series coming out of the All-Star break was completely gone. And I was writing in my notes, I I was ready to start getting mildly concerned about the team because Trey Turner was still struggling. The Ranger Suarez and Taiwan Walker part of the rotation was not up to what it had been in June. I was ready to start getting concerned. All those games were winnable, but they're finding ways to lose it. And when you're a really good team in the thick of a crazy wildcard race in the NL, which we'll get to later, you need those wins. You can't afford to drop back and have some of those teams start to create distance. Yet, in classic Phillies form, and this is why, again, I love doing this on Friday because we see the entirety of two series. You don't get to just write the season off after one win, which, doing radio every night... Often that happens. Harper stinks. The lineup stinks. Topper's an idiot. Why is Trey Turner on the team? All those takes are thrown out there. Then they can come back the next day and completely reverse course. We have a full week to look at. 
and the fact that the team came back on Tuesday with, <laughs> I wrote it down in my notes, what felt like a season-saving win. Minor hyperbole there. They walk it off. They're down one nothing in the ninth. Yenier Cano is in. Nasty pitcher for the Orioles. A two-out single from Harper. A Bryson Stott RBI double to tie it. Alec Bohm walks it off. A it, it saved the feel of the season, at least, going into the deadline. And then Wednesday, just a, again, a classic team win with Turner on the bench. The offense battles. Jake Cave is making big catches at the wall in left field. So d- to come out of the week after all that had happened in Cleveland with a 3-3 three and three record, I think is really impressive. And that's my big takeaway. So, yes, they are handing away games that they should have won. You could look back at each of the losses, really, and say, okay, the Phillies should have won that game, which is a big difference between an average team or a subpar team getting their doors blown off for a couple days, coming back, and then eking out a win or two and, say, finishing a week two and four. Like The fact that still, even though they, they came out of the week three and three, that easily could have been a couple sweeps or at least a, a four and two, five and one week. The games they lost were, they were playing okay baseball. They were playing pretty good baseball, honestly. They just could not make the winning plays when it mattered. Which, at the end of the day, what matters is the win or the loss. But in the case of this team, as we look to the deadline and how they're going to improve, obviously the last two wins make you feel much better. Much better. Going into a weekend series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. But... When you look at the week in its entirety, they played good baseball. They just weren't able, again, to to capture some of those wins. The way I would sum it up in its entirety, three-word summation here, is that they weathered the storm. They weathered the storm in a really good way. And again, with an improbable win on Tuesday, a solid one on Wednesday to take two out of three from one of the best teams in the American League. They, they weathered. There are times where a stretch like that where you lose several in a row, and you're reeling, you come back, Baltimore beats you once, you're in the ninth inning, down 2-1. to one. That could have spiraled. For bad teams, that spirals. You can look at the Marlins right now, who are scuffling big time. It's been spiraling for them. They haven't been able to, to pick up a win or two when they need it to weather the storm. This Phillies team perfectly weathered the storm. And that storm isn't just losing two out of three in Cleveland. That also includes, like, Ranger Suarez giving up a three-run homer in the third inning of Wednesday's game and the team coming back to win. It's Craig Kimbrell blowing a save down in Cleveland, the team turning right back around, scoring four runs in the 10th inning and getting away with an 8-5 win. And that 8-5 win even included a massive spot for Junior Marte there in the 10th coming in with the bases loaded. So it's even in-game. This team weathered the storm, and that's impressive. And that's where I look to Rob Thompson. It's a manager that you can have your disagreements with how he constructs the lineup or some some benchings that should have happened earlier maybe in the case of Trey Turner, which we'll get to in a second. But Rob Thompson's demeanor develops, I think, a mentality that leads to what we saw this week where things could go wrong and, and things did go wrong in each of the games if you want to go through every one. But... The fact that they're still playing solid enough baseball to capture three of them against two solid teams. I came away encouraged. I really did. And now you can look at the deadline and say, okay, once the additions come, there has to be a boost in the locker room. 
And I think the pressure of the deadline, which this team is likely dealing with, will go away. They don't need to go prove to the front office anymore, which could lead to some pressing, which could be an explanation for what we've seen generally. So with three and three week for the Phillies, the player of the week, I don't know anywhere else you could go with this than Bryce Harper. Seriously, the dude's unbelievable. He plays first base for the first time out in Cleveland, which again, what's the difference between playing it in Cleveland on Friday and playing it when you're at home in those series earlier? But he gets to first base and immediately the old adage in baseball, oh, the ball's going to find you. And it did, seriously, for the entire weekend there. And he was up to the task at every moment. Do I want him diving into the stands or into the camera well to catch the ball? Probably not. But when you put a guy like that out there, you know he is doing everything he can to make an impact and to help the team. And he did that. He was flawless at first base. That just, it, it goes to show you when you have a really good baseball player, they could go do anything. If you ask him to pick up anything, I'm sure he would be able to do it. That's just the nature of the best players in the sport. So he seems to be a natural out there. And not only was he out at first base all week, we had clutch hits, home run against the Orioles the other night, a couple big-time clutch singles, an insurance run there on Wednesday, and then a big hit in the extra inning game down in Cleveland. So the offensive numbers as a whole don't look great for him. And it wasn't a great offensive week. You don't need me to tell you that. They left a bucket of guys on base yet again. But when you talk about a pure impact on the game type of player, that's what Bryce Harper was this week. And it wasn't only, obviously, seen in the stat sheet. He goes to first base. Jake Cave goes out to left field on Wednesday. Has a great catch. Has a pretty solid offensive day. Helps the team. You see defensive replacements. In every game except for the loss against the Orioles, in which Kyle Schwarber was still in left for the ninth. Fly ball out there. He's unable to make the play. And it was a tough play. I'm not going to rip Schwarber for that, but he should not have been in the field in that spot. Aside from that, you have the defensive replacements that were possible. The lineup just feels better. So it was encouraging to see Harper play at back-to-back days as well, Tuesday and Wednesday. He's easily the player of the week. And we'll get to this in a second. I mean, the Phillies' deadline moves should be clear. Clear as day after this week. I don't love making wide-ranging conclusions based on one week of baseball, or one series for that matter, but this week, I think, did enough. It did more than enough for me to say, Bryce Harper can play first base. He should be this team's first baseman for the rest of the season. And it's time to go make deadline moves with that as an assumption. So big week for Bryce Harper. I, the funniest note from the week I had, Ranger Suarez and Taiwan Walker are slowing down a bit, and we'll get to them, but the best two pitching performances from the week, Zach Wheeler in Cleveland on Saturday. He goes seven innings, one earned run, which was crap. That's the play where there's a runner on first, two outs, shallow fly ball to right field. Bryson Stott's there. Castellanos is there. I think it was Marsh that was in center. And the ball drops in. The run scores. Phillies lose one to nothing. So that's the earned run. He was phenomenal. And that should signal really good things for the rest of his season. But Wheeler was great. And then Chris Sanchez, that first one against Baltimore, Monday, 
two runs through seven innings from a guy that occupies a fifth starter spot that for a little bit we thought it would be Dylan Covey. Like the difference between a a white flag type of game, a an automatic surrender, and what Chris Sanchez is bringing is night and day. Two runs through seven innings. That's the the Monday game where I, I mean I think the loss was on Rob Thompson. The loss was obviously on the offense for not coming through. But those two best pitching performances from the week, Wheeler and Sanchez combined 14 innings pitched, three runs, 16 strikeouts. The Phillies lost both games in classic form. Yet they come back and you have Ranger Suarez and Taiwan Walker. Not great starts by any means. Often with the Phillies finding an early hole that they have to dig out of. And Wednesday perfectly encaptured it. They're down 3 nothing. They come back and win the game. So that's that's the baseball stuff that's really hard to explain when you lose those games where the pitchers are great and and you end up winning the ones where they were a little shaky. So in, in general, listen, the season far from over. I think everybody should be encouraged, as the crowds are showing down at Citizens Bank Park. This is a week I think we'll look back on after the Brewers series. They had lost four straight. They, they find one coming out of Cleveland to come back and take two out of three with Baltimore. There's a good stretch coming up. It's a weather the storm kind of week. It's a, a The season might have been over until Tuesday night if you want to react to every game in that way. But I, I again, I, I come away encouraged. And the Phillies' path going forward is clear. It's really clear. So we're going to get to that here in a minute, as well as other ways to make this team better. There was a lineup adjustment with Trey Turner going to the bench on Wednesday that I liked. I would like to see maintained. Other ways to maybe improve this lineup aside from going out and getting a bat. And then, how is this team going to go on a run? There's some numbers I saw from from earlier in the week I want to go through. We'll get to all of it. I'm Ben Kenny. It's on the clock. We're back after this. All right, we're back. It is on the clock. Phillies. Three and three week. They are fifty-five and forty-seven on the season. Good for the top wild card spot now, if you want to look at it that way. They're tied with San Francisco, who's also tied with Cincinnati. So the three teams in the wild card positions are all tied. Arizona is a half game back. Miami also a half game back. And then you have the Cubs and San Diego behind them. So if the season ended today, yes, the Phillies would be in the postseason. But we know that team, how it's going to look like come October, compared to the one now. At least we hope there are some legitimate differences there. I believe a year ago today, Didi Gregorius, for reference, was still on the team. It took until the deadline for guys like him and Oduble to, for upgrades to happen in those spots. So the team's going to get better. This is not going to be the same team we see. But they're grinding, and they're putting themselves in solid position to really hit the ground running with a lot of games at home, some games against bad teams here in the second half to go make a run. I have a couple other notes from the week I wanted to hit, which have to do with larger picture things with the team before we get to some deadline thoughts and what needs to happen for that run to occur here in the second half. First from the week, and this goes into the deadline. Honestly, all of it does. How is this team going to get improved? The bullpen needs help, man. We saw Sir Anthony come back and look look really solid against Baltimore. 
But Jose Alvarado is still out. Your reliable bullpen pitchers at this point have been Craig Kimbrell, who he's been awesome. There is part of me that is still frightened that he usually slows down come playoff time towards the end of the season. He's old. There needs to be more options aside from him. Um, Soto has been really solid there. Jeff Hoffman has given them good innings, but Alvarado and Sir Anthony are the two dudes in that bullpen still. And Alvarado's out. He should be coming back, I believe, coming up in a bit. And Sir Anthony just came back. But still, they've been battling injuries all season. And they have not been themselves after a long postseason run that we saw last year. This bullpen is going to need help. You can talk about the offense all you want. The Phillies, I can almost guarantee, will make bullpen moves at the deadline. Now, I hope it's not David Robertson again, to be honest. I've seen his name thrown out there as a Phillies target. There are going to be a lot of options, as there always are, from subpar teams. The bullpen is is really going to need a boost here down the stretch. I mentioned Ranger Suarez and Taiwan Walker in the open. Ranger gives up three runs on Wednesday to the Orioles. Him and Walker are starting to slow down. Both of them were unbelievable in the month of June. There were legitimate discussions throughout that month as to whether Ranger Suarez could be the ace of the staff and if Taiwan Walker was elevating himself to a number two or a number three pitcher, which I always shunned. Like, it's Wheeler and Nola. However you feel about Nola, he's the number two on this team. And then probably Suarez and Walker in that order. Suarez and, but the two were unbelievable in June. They were awesome. They're starting to slow down a bit here. Ranger, four runs through five innings pitch Wednesday. Taiwan Walker in his last four starts, giving up an average of three runs. Each of them pitched twice last week, and they gave up a combined 14 runs in those starts, which is not bad by any means. As I've said, that level of pitching should still be enough for an offense like this, which obviously has not been performing like that level of offense, and we're still waiting for the consistent explosion from from the stars, really. Bryson Stott, it feels like, along with Alec Bohm and Bryce Harper, have been carrying this offense since the All-Star break. Castellanos is back in a scuffle. Schwarber has been absolutely terrible the last week. Trey Turner's been even worse. Like, that offense needs to step up and start carrying the team. When I look at two starters that are going to give you innings and, and pitch okay, I don't think Suarez and Walker are returning to what they were in June. It's time for the offense to start carrying this team. They're 13th in baseball in OPS entering this weekend. They're still 17th in runs, and they're they're putrid with runners in scoring position, as we know. 26th in OPS in those spots. That plagued them in Cleveland. It's time where, when you have all the money invested in one spot of the team, and you'll hear me say this a lot, you can look at the Eagles. If the Eagles have to rely upon their defense to win games, you know something's wrong this season. Now, they, it, it could be a game or two where that happens. That's football. That's expected. But if the defense is expected to be the driving force for the team, something is seriously wrong because the money is invested in offense there. You have the star power in offense with Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. This Phillies team should be the same way. They have a they what should be a really solid pitching staff, yet all the money's in the offense. That's where the star power is, and it's not delivering. 
So when I watch some of the starters, and the same thing goes for Aaron Nola. Three, I, a solid start in Cleveland, I will note. He got rocked early, a couple run, uh, three runs early. Goes through seven innings, though. Gives the team a chance to win. It needs to be a team driven by offense that wins those games. Where when, when Ranger Suarez gives up four runs through six innings, can you find a way to still win those ball games? Now for some, it like for the Brewers, for instance, they are a pitching-driven team. If their starter gives up three or four runs, write the game off, it's over. But the Phillies should not be that. Turner makes all the money. Schwarber is supposed to be this guy at the top of the lineup. Castellanos has been solid. Uh, he, he's been really good this year, yet he is scuffling big time. You have Harper, Realmuto. Like, a star-powered offense with that much invested in it needs to be the driving force of this team. So that's something that I'm, I'm monitoring coming out of the week with what we've seen, some some sliding from the middle of the rotation there. And that honestly connects well. Let's do this now. I saw this this week from John Stolness of Good Fight. Covers the Phillies. Entering the Baltimore series, which obviously was not a, a cornucopia of runs. They eked out close games and played solid, but that was not an offensive explosion. Entering the Baltimore series, here are the July numbers for the top five hitters in the Phillies lineup. Kyle Schwarber, 190, and on base of 253 and a slugging of 418. Five home runs, 18 RBI, a strikeout rate nearing 30, which is, it's terrible. I know people hate him at leadoff, and I defend the fact that he still gets on base. There's something to be said about how he sets the tone for games where you're up one nothing, Kyle Schwarber comes to bat, that's what happens. But that happens when he's on. And he's been playing terribly up there in that spot. Right after him, Trey Turner, 247 in July, on base of 293, slugging a 416. Honestly, those are his numbers from the season, but it looks a lot worse when you see his last couple games. A couple 0 for 3, 0 for 4 showings with a bunch of strikeouts, some terrible errors in the field, which... The hitting has really transitioned into the field for him, which has been tough to see. And then he gets benched on Wednesday, which I liked. I'll take a mini detour here, and this also will fit into what I want the lineup to look like. Rob Thompson said that he had approached Turner entering Tuesday, asking him if he wanted to play through this or if he thought he needed a day off. And Turner, of course, like he's trying out there. I'm not going to rip the guy for not working hard to get better, but... It must be said that he has been, I mean, again, $300 million Freddie Galvis at shortstop. And Freddie Galvis was a much better defender. So that might even be disrespectful to what Galvis brought to the team. After the game, after a terrible game, he gets he gets ejected earlier as well. And Thompson says, okay, you're sitting on Wednesday. Now, the Phillies won the game on Wednesday, but it gives him two days off. They'll go into the weekend. I like the move. It finally had to happen. You give him a day off his feet, a day to stop thinking about it. You're going to have to move him down in the lineup. Like, you can't have a guy in that important of a spot, the most important in the lineup, in my opinion, the two-hole, playing as bad as Trey Turner's played. So he is. Uh, his July numbers are similar, uh, 27% strikeout rate as well. July numbers are similar to what they've been all season, which, not good. Nick Castellanos. Now, this is the concerning part. In July, he's hitting 173 
with an on base of 195 and a slugging of 260, four home runs, a strikeout rate of 32.5%. That isn't even last year, Nick Castellanos. That is that is below replacement level baseball player. That's how he's played in July. That's been really, really poor. Now, he was hitting second on Wednesday, which I like, and he's going to hit through it. It doesn't concern me long term. He's in a funk. But it goes into a larger point about the top five in the lineup. And then Harper, who's actually played well since the All-Star break. He's hitting 311 on base around 400 and a slugging of 459. He has a home run, and he's had a bunch of big hits, and obviously what he's brought in the field. Harper is not part of this. It's almost even coming back from Tommy John with the power not where you want it to be. You can't get on him for what he brings. Like, you know he'll show up every day and make a positive impact on the game. So take him out of this equation. The final one's JT. He's hitting 246 with an on-base of 302 and a strikeout rate of 26.5%. A big double against the Orioles. And again, these numbers are before the Orioles series coming out of Cleveland for the July numbers. But JT has been pretty poor as well, generally. So that's the top five of the lineup. Those are your horses. Those are the guys that have to be driving the team. And they have been terrible. They've been terrible this month. And the team has still been able to to win some games. They've been treading water with all of those performances happening. There's not a single thing. You could talk about Aaron Nola. And you could talk about Rob Thompson. Things that make you unhappy with the lineup decisions. Whether guys are benched. Whether Jake Cave is up there and playing. None of that stuff should matter. There's one thing that will drive this baseball team to the postseason. It is those five names I just mentioned. Schwarber, Turner, Castellanos, Harper, and Real Muto. So it's been good the Phillies have won games despite those struggles happening and despite how poor those players have been. But man, they have to get going. They have to. So I don't know. You can consider this a defense of Rob Thompson, even though I think he lost them the game on on Tuesday with all of the poor decisions we saw with the no challenge early on the on the Aaron Hicks catch in center on the weird Edmundo Sosa bunt stuff after Turner gets ejected. Not pinch running Marsh for Schwarber there late in the game and then leaving Schwarber and left. Aside from some of those in-game stuff, which happens, that's baseball. All the all the blame when they lose, none of the credit when they win. I'm going to defend Rob Thompson to all ends when it comes to this because none of what he does matters if those guys are playing as bad as they are right now. Now, there are probably ways to to give them little boosts when it comes to fixing the lineup around. I agree with that. But that's still a small thing in the big picture of when they are at bat, do they actually hit? And the answer in July so far has has been no. So entering the deadline, and let's do this actually. The lineup is a point of contention always in this town when Kyle Schwarber is there at leadoff. And I'm going to still defend it. I'm fine with him hitting leadoff. He just has to perform. And I know Stott is having an awesome season. And he might be the guy, ninth inning, two outs, man on second, need a base hit to tie the game. Aside from Bryce Harper, Bryson Stott might be the guy I want up in that situation. And everyone's claiming for him to hit leadoff. I don't know. I wouldn't be completely opposed to it. I'm okay with Schwarber staying there. I don't think he can. he's going to play as poor as he is right now for the rest of the season. What would my lineup look like? 
What do I think Rob Thompson should do? The biggest move he has to make, I mentioned it last week, it's even more true after the week Trey Turner had. Trey Turner can't hit second. He needs to be moved down in the lineup. I don't give a damn what his ego says. I don't give a damn what Thompson thinks about. He needs to hit through it specifically. That's the one guy that I look at. Premium position in the lineup. He's up with runners in scoring position often. He has not come through. That's where I'd put Alec Bohm. I would go Schwarber, Bohm, Harper, three, Castellanos, four. The left field bat, I hope they add at the deadline. Hopefully a righty left field bat with Pop, which I've mentioned some names on the show, and we'll get to more in a bit. I want him fifth. Give me Stott sixth. Protection for that. There's going to be some guys on base that – a trickle-down effect. A guy like Raul Abanez who ended up – I think he hit sixth on those good Phillies teams. That's the role I want Stott to play. JT after Stott seven. Put Trey Turner eighth, and then whoever's playing center field – hitting ninth. I think that'll help Turner. It'll take pressure off him. It can allow him to work through those things, not with the spotlight of hitting second. It's going to help this team score runs. It's that simple. So once the move is made at the deadline, that's what I I need my lineup to look like. Boom at second. That's the key for me. He's not hitting for much power, but the contact is there. Consistent contact. He's been the team's best player with runners in scoring position this season. So that's a spot I think works very well for Alec Bow. All right, real quick before we get to some larger stories around the sport. Phillies entering the deadline. The Harper first base move shouldn't take a genius to figure this one out. It makes the, the deadline clear as day for this team. It's a left fielder. It's a left fielder with pop. Ideally, a, a right-handed player, a right-handed hitter. Cody Bellinger's a good idea, but I, I'm not in on Cody Bellinger. I think the price for him is going to be too high. And a lot of the numbers say that he actually could be regressing as the second half goes along. I would much rather, some of the guys I mentioned before, an Adam Duvall, a Hunter Renfro, or a Randall Gritchick if he could play the field. Guys like that to put there, hit fifth, contribute to the lineup. The The move is clear as day. And it doesn't even need to be one guy. They could go a platoon route I saw thrown out there. I think that's a solid idea. You get one of those specialists, one guy that, mashes lefties, one guy that mashes righties, and platoon them out there. Different ways to go about fixing that. But the move's clear as day. You get a bullpen arm or two, hopefully like high leverage ones. I'm not talking about Brad Hand. And I hope it's not David Robertson. A couple good bullpen arms. Maybe you get some starting pitching depth, but, but nothing too premium. And a left fielder with pop. And there's your team. That should be the blueprint for Dave Dombrowski. Um, Nick Pavetta's available. If you want a guy for long relief or to have a spot start, give you a Noah Syndergaard-type start in the in the NLDS, maybe come in and he's been awesome out of the bullpen this year in Boston. If Boston sells a Nick Pavetta reunion, I think I'd be in, honestly, for the chaos of it. But also, that could help the team. It won't hurt. He's better than Dylan Covey, who's somehow still here. Phil's send down Andrew Bellotti and not Covey later in the week. Whatever. All right, let's do this. We will get to some bigger MLB stories when we come back. I don't know what the Angels are doing. I'll explain. It's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny. We're back after this. All right, we're back on the clock. Ben Kenny, Phillies 24-7, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Again, appreciate everybody spending their Friday with us. 
whether it is on the app or in podcast form, big thank you. So deadline deadline activities happening on Wednesday evening. The Dodgers acquire Ahmed Rosario from the Guardians for old friend Noah Syndergaard. There have been a couple smaller moves as well that have gone on. So we're starting to see some things trickle out. Obviously, Otani mania is sweeping the nation. The Angels have won a couple games. And news broke on Wednesday that I'll get to in a second about their plans for Otani. I don't know what they're doing. The Juan Soto thing still exists as well. And teams are in limbo. If you look at the standings, it's crazy. Go to the American League. There are uh, Tampa Bay is leading the wild card. Houston is a game and a half up on Toronto is the final wild card team. The Boston Red Sox are only two games back. They've won three straight. The Yankees are three back. The Angels are four. Mariners four and a half. Cleveland five and a half. So you have pretty much the entire league within striking distance minus the seller teams which probably don't have much to sell, obviously, aside from a bullpen arm here and there. Aside from those bad teams, half of the American League is in contention. You go to the NL, Phil's, San Francisco, Cincinnati, all tied at the wild card spot. Arizona's a half back. Miami's a half back. The Cubs are five back. San Diego's at six and a half. Mets, the Mets are seven. I, I mean, the Mets might be out. That might be where you draw the line. But a lot of teams are still in limbo. So there are a lot of decisions still being made about whether to buy or sell, whether to go all out, or maybe just do some minor moves. A headline from the week related to the deadline that I wanted to get to. And this could be spun to look at the Phillies at maybe the first base position when Reese Hoskins may or may not come back. By the way, a, a positive note saw from Phillies Nation on Wednesday that Rob Thompson said Reese Hoskins could, quote, possibly begin swinging a bat in the next week or 10 days. He's been seen out on the field jogging. So maybe he's ahead of schedule. We don't really talk about a somewhat far out there potential of Reese Hoskins somehow playing in the postseason and adding maybe even just a righty bat off the bench. Give me a specialist to come in and knock some runs in. That would be unbelievable. What a boost that would give to the locker room. But there, there are things with that where, okay, the Reese Hoskins thing works. It works in this clubhouse. He is the guy. And you want to let him walk in free agency because you don't like his defense. He still is a guy that is important to the fabric of the Phillies, whether Bryce Harper can play first base or not. So letting him go, I would be somewhat concerned that the carryover from all of the great in-locker room and in-house stuff, I'd be concerned that that wouldn't carry over. Say what you want about Aaron Nola. There's probably something there, too. That's more baseball terms, though. Oh, I'll let Aaron Nola walk. I'm unhappy with him. It's like the dude pitches the most innings in baseball. Who are you going to replace him with? You want to bring in Marcus Stroman to give you some quality starts and get rocked half the time? He's old. He's not going to pitch as well as Nola pitches. People are unhappy with Nola because he's here. But, again, that works. We have seen the Nola thing. What he does for the rotation and the bullpen what it does for this team, I think, is impossible to quantify. That works. The headline I'm talking about, the Cincinnati Reds, apparently are shopping second baseman Jonathan India. Now, the Reds are one of the big breakout teams this year. Ellie De La Cruz is awesome. They brought up some other kids. Their pitching staff, even without Hunter Green, maybe their top pitcher, has been impressive. They're a couple games back of the Brewers in the Central. They are 
in a wild card spot. So they're in playoff position. They seem to be buyers. Now, remember the Orioles last year. This Orioles team's great. The Orioles last year were really good. They were in playoff position. And they sold at the deadline. Looking at this year, obviously, is the year for the team to really arrive. Now, that sucks in the moment. Probably smart long term. So the Reds are looking to trade India. I just, I want to caution them. I want to caution fans of sports. Be careful messing up what works. Now they have a lot of kids that have just come up and their infield's pretty crowded and they need starting pitching help. But India won Rookie of the Year a couple years ago. He has been the starting second baseman for pretty much the entire season. Now he's in somewhat of a funk, so I don't know what you're getting for him now given how he's played in the last couple weeks. But just be careful. Be careful messing up a fabric that works. There's a reason that teams trade prospects for players, prospects that have not been up in the majors, instead of trading actual players on their team for other players. You shake up a locker room when that happens. The Milwaukee Brewers trade Josh Hader last year at the deadline. The team goes into free fall. Whether that move made baseball sense, which the Brewers have done a pretty good job of flipping the pieces and constructing, reloading, getting a good team together. Minus that, you destroy your locker room, and there's a real chance for something to spiral. So I don't know the dynamic with with India in Cincinnati, but trading a a starting second baseman at that time, you're walking a tightrope. There's a chance that comes back to bite you. Now the counterpoint to that is, I will note, the 2004 Red Sox traded away Nomar Garcia-Para, their shortstop at the deadline. A guy that probably could not exist in today's baseball with the pitch clock, given what he did every at-bat in between pitches. But they trade him for, and they end up bringing in a bunch of guys, and they go on to win the World Series. So there are examples of that happening the other way. I'm a big believer in chemistry, and if something is working, not to, not to mess with it. So be careful, Cincinnati. That's what I'll say. Meanwhile, on the Otani front, the apparently the Orioles and the Diamondbacks have checked in. Now that makes the most sense. If you want to talk about any teams where Otani would be the guy for them, the younger teams that are emerging onto the scene, that are not the Dodgers. I, I know the Yankees are a couple games back, but are not the Yankees. No, the Orioles and the Diamondbacks that are really good teams that figure to they have the potential to make deep runs in the playoff to add a, a true rental. No way they re-sign him. A true rental. It makes the most sense for those young teams. That would I Shohei Otani on the Orioles, on that Orioles team, would be really fun. It'd be awesome. Now the problem is, Wednesday night, news broke that the Angels, a, a report broke, that the Angels have taken Shohei Otani off of the trade market. That's from Tom Verducci of Sports Illustrated. The Angels are four back of the last wildcard spot in the AL. Won a couple in a row. Playing better after that crazy skid entering the All-Star break. They're playing better except for a search Mickey Moniak on Twitter and watch the highlight or the low light and center that comes up. I'm not going to comment on it. I'll just throw it out there. But they're taking Otani off the market because they want to make a push for the playoffs. Like, it's it's time to let go. Everybody knows a relationship where both sides would be better off just letting go of what's going on. 
That's the case with the Angels right now. Mike Trout is hurt. Their offseason moves, surprise, surprise, did not work out. Anthony Rendon is, he's been paid ungodly sums of money for every home run he's hit on that contract. Not been living up to that. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. And even if they do, they're not built well enough to go deep. Now, you don't want to be the owner or the GM that trade Shohei Otani. I get it. Like trading Babe Ruth. But I think Angels fans can understand the position the team is in and understand how much they could get for him. If you want to talk about truly building another window or avoiding going deep into the tank, if you're the Angels, trading Shohei Otani is the way to do it. You're not going to woo him to sign back there. He's gone. Or at least he should be. You got to get rid of him. You have to. That news really surprised me when it broke this week. Now, it could be posturing. It could be something of, okay, you guys got to up your offers. We need more. Blow us away. When it comes down, and there's more time before the deadline. If the Angels lose four in a row, I'm sure he's gone. But I was surprised, if that is true, that that is the case out there. I think it's ridiculous to approach the Otani situation the way they have or the way it seems that they are going forward. All right, it's on the clock. Ben Kenny with you. We'll get to a Phillies weekend preview coming up in a bit. Is there a big run coming? The schedule is lining up a certain way. I'll tell you the specifics here. I did want to talk about... Now, Scott Rowland went in the Hall of Fame. I should mention. I feel obligated to mention. And we'll do this show maybe in the offseason. Chase Utley is a Hall of Famer. Is Scott Rowland a Hall of Famer? I don't know. It could go either way. Can you tell the story of baseball without Scott Rowland? Yeah, probably. I, I probably could. He happened to be on some good Cardinals teams. Whatever. Can you tell it without Chase Utley, who was the best second baseman in baseball for a six to seven year period? I don't think you can. I'll elaborate on that more. But that was interesting. The reaction to Roland has been very, very interesting to see. One thing I needed to get to before we get out of here. How about our our inaugural winner of the week? Haven't done this segment yet. And I'll be adding segments to the show as time goes along. It's a question of whatever's warranted. If things happen, we react. The winner of the week is Taylor Swift. Now, I'm, I'm not a Swifty. I have family members that are. Many people I know are. I understand the allure. I understand the performance. It's just not not my cup of tea. Anthony Rizzo on the Yankees. Listen to this. He had not hit a home run as an everyday player. Like This guy's in the lineup pretty much every day for that team. He had not hit a home run since May 20th. Two full months without going deep in Yankee Stadium as, you know, Anthony Rizzo. Really good baseball player. He had been absolutely putrid the last couple months of the season. He had 173 in June. He hit 171 or is hitting 171 in July. He steps up to the plate. He changed his walk-up music to a Taylor Swift song. Which song? I must admit I didn't do that much research on it. The Swifties can go figure that out. But he changes his walk-up music to Taylor Swift. He had not, not only had he not homered in two months, he had not had a multi-hit game in a full month. 
A lot of one for fours, 0 for fives. Against the Kansas City Royals, he comes up, new walk-up music, Taylor Swift blasting. He goes four for four with a double and a bomb. He was asked after the game and, yeah, credited it to Taylor's music. So there you go for the Swifties out there. Good week for you. All right, Ben Kenny, it's on the clock. We'll close it up next. A preview of the weekend in Phillies baseball and a look ahead at their schedule. Some favorable matchups coming up soon. A run could be coming. We'll tell you next. All right, we're back on the clock, closing it out here on this Friday. Thank you for for joining us and listening however you are. A big stretch coming up for the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, most of my thoughts were shared on the previous week, but genuinely, I think when you are a team that is that puts themselves in as many positions to win as this Phillies team does, eventually the floodgates will open. And we thought they were opening. Well, they did open in June, right? And they've kind of shut a little bit. But they've still done it without offense. And it's the offense that they need to turn around and I think will. After the series win against the Orioles, listen to this. Their next 14 games, Pirates, Marlins, Royals, Nationals. That is three of the worst teams in baseball. And the Marlins, who are scuffling. Now it's four games in Miami. That's coming up next week. That's a big spot. If you could push the Marlins that far down out of wildcard contention, that would be huge for the Phil's chances to make the playoffs. Knowing the Phillies, they'll lose three out of four because it's Miami. But they are in Pittsburgh this weekend. Not a good Pirates team. 12 games under 500. Started off great this season, but not a very talented team. They'll be selling at the deadline. So that's an easy opportunity to sweep. Maybe take two out of three. And then you go down to Miami. It's a big four games. It's four games that pretty much lead really close to, I I believe, into the deadline. And that's a direct opponent in the wild card. So get ready to make wide-ranging conclusions based on only that series and where the Phillies are going in their season. I would never be the one to do that, but let's get ready to do that next week. Um, Really good stretch coming up, though. I mean... They could go 10-4 and four in the next 14. And that really signals to front office that it's time to make a big move. And maybe that big move comes on the heel of it. Where if you have a really good two-week stretch here, you get reinforcements, the roster improves, that's when maybe we could see a big run come. Now, the division obviously likely out of play here. The Phillies are 10.5 back of Atlanta. But if they could get separation and get up and get that first wild card, play that first series at home, then what's the difference between winning the division and getting that first wild card? So big opportunity coming up for the Phils. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for hanging out. We'll be back next week at this same time, hopefully after a big-time week for the Phils in Pittsburgh and in Miami. We'll talk to you then. See ya.